Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Friday morning. I'm running a little bit late, but... Excuse me. Um, we had a big shabrach as we did last night. Didn't get over till late, and I'm not very good once it gets late. <clears throat> so, let me uh, take a shot at the Trila podcast this week. As always, sponsored by Mishpachas Stefanski, uh, and this, of course, is Pasha Zohar, obviously. And that means you have we're in the four weeks now. The four Pashas and Pasha Zohar is replete, of course, with the uh, Putim which are very, very interesting, including one particular one that I want to say a few words about today. And uh, I don't know if you, most shoals, I'm well aware, have dropped the Piyutim, uh, but many have not. And my shoals and Nusel Smarts today are very into the Piyutim. It ain't too much. There's, I mean, it was not Yekis that they have long extra Piyutim, uh, which is fine, but rather uh, they have what, what I always referred to as a mild dollop. A couple pages worth, not too much. And I always tell people in my show, uh, for the Piyutin, get a hold of the art scroll, English, because otherwise you won't be able to follow the Hebrew. Not that the English translations are perfect, but, you know, who out there is even checking? Uh, and anyway, it's they're pretty good. The translations are pretty good. Uh, the Yotzeh Pasha Zohar is just for Shachar, not for Musso. And uh, the way the Yotzeh is organized... Of course, is uh, you know by Chazars Hashats between the beginning and Kedusha, and uh, they have a certain pattern to them. Uh, they're somewhat slightly based on what you do in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, believe it or not, particularly Rosh Hashanah. But um, usually they'll have one that's historical. When I say historical, I mean historical in terms of the midrashic literature. It, it recounts a sacred history if you go by the Midrashic literature. Now, it so happens, then Pasha Zohar, in other words, obviously they're going to have Betamolik. You know, uh, duh. <laughs> and the reason, of course, is because, you know, Haman comes from Amalek. And therefore, we're going to read Pasha Zohar and so forth. Now, as I said before, I want to concentrate on one. Perhaps the most famous and controversial of all the Piyutim in the course of Jewish literary history is the one we're going to say, the Shabbos, See, even if you, the listener, are not in a show, we say Piyutin, you might want to just take a look at it for intellectual interest to be a little li- literarily aware. And I'm, of course, referring to the famous uh, Piyut, which describes the attack of Amalek against the Jewish people, the Gersite in the middle of Pasha Zohar, of Otzkotzates, which is from the Kaliri. And in fact, it's his signature Piyut. That's the reason I mention it. Kalir, of course, wrote hundreds of things, and we, we actually use dozens of them in the course of the year. Maybe a hundred, I don't know, you know, a lot. But uh, the f- most famous and controversial of them, and the most representative of a certain genre, is the Otzkotetz, which in modern Hebrew is actually a, a, a cultural verb. I'm serious. Um, because it became the target of the Haskalah. It became the target of the Haskalah. In, its fir- in the Haskalah's first iteration, 
which was in Spain in the 10th, 11th, 12th centuries. And then it became, once again, the target of the criticism of Haskalah in its second iteration, which was in the 19th century, particularly in Eastern Europe, 19th and early 20th century. Now, Releza Kaliri, uh, I must have spoken about before, is among the three or four famous Pythons from long ago. When I say long ago, my understanding is that he's from the Byzantine era, which means that Israel, uh, as you know, was once a Jewish state, and then the Romans destroyed it. And that was near 70, of course. And for the next couple hundred years, it was the Roman Empire. And mind you, the Roman Empire, after the Parkoch Rebellion, which in the time of Emperor Hadrian, uh, resulted in the fact that no Jew was allowed in Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim was rebuilt as a pagan city, Roman city. But believe it or not, things got worse in the 4th century because the Roman Empire switched to Christian. And then, so to make it easy for you, in the 300s, the 400s, the 500s, and the early 600s, yeah? So from the early 300s to the early 600s, that's uh, three centuries, Eretz Yisrael and the Jews who lived in Eretz Yisrael were uh, under the control of what they call the Eastern Roman Empire. The term we often use for the Eastern Roman Empire is the Byzantine Empire, because the capital city was in Constantinople, and Constantinople was the name that Constantine gave to the city, you know, duh, Constantine City, you know, they always into self-glory and self-aggrandizement. And uh, the previous name was Byzantium, Byzantium. So it became a, a shtick that you refer to the Eastern Roman Empire as the Byzantine Empire. But when we talk about the Byzantine Empire, which was around for a thousand years, and there were Jews there, not so much is known about them. That may possibly be, possibly, possibly be the origins of Ashkenaz Jewry. It's one of the theories. But anyway, the Jews who lived in that part of the world, which means the Eastern Mediterranean, what you and I today call Turkey and Greece, Syria and Israel, Egypt, this was under the influence of the Byzantine Empire. And uh, early on, they killed out all the rabbis, so, like in the 360s. That's one of the reasons the Yerushalmi ground to a halt. And, uh, you know, the Babli went on another 150 years, or approximately. And, because the Babli was in Babel, which was not in, located in the, in the Eastern Roman Empire. So it was not under their control. When it was Christian, which is from the early 300s on, they really persecuted Jews very heavily, which is understandable, considering that the Judaism and Christianity, especially in its early iterations, both claimed to have the, the, the real truth. And uh, it was tough being Jewish. And so imagine living in Eretz Yisrael um, during those centuries when there wasn't uh, yeshivas that were learning at all. Instead, you simply had, as far as we can tell, um, Jewish ritual. It's, you know, to you and I, we say, like this, what kind of Orthodox Judaism is without learning, without yeshivas? Well, at the time I'm talking about the Gemara didn't exist. <laughs> Please keep that in mind. The Talmud Bavli actually came out at our, you know, earliest estimate, towards the end of the uh, 500, the 600, in other words, more or less coterminous with the Byzantine Empire itself. And so, being Jewish didn't mean sit and learn, like you imagine today, and you have a shear in the base medrash and all that. These texts didn't really exist, or if they did, they exist in a very preliminary form. You know, maybe there was Tanaitic literature, possibly. But, you know, for in terms of halacha, Having the Mishnahis is no good. So uh, it was just an interesting time. And 
Judaism had to, you know, chug along, not in the exact way we understand it. And my point is that the central, uh, as far as I'm aware, and this I can only share you best I understand it, as far as I'm aware, the best um, uh, guess is that the central institution was the synagogue, not the yeshiva in the school, but the synagogue and the prayer. Okay? That's how you practice Judaism. Who even knows if they had field during the week? But they sure did on Shabbos. And uh, the the Byzantine emperor was kind of like Greek, you know, a Greco-Roman. And it was in the Eastern Orthodox Church. And they're into very long and, and, and uh, a very long davening and with very uh, uh, flowery and, and not understandable Greek for the Hamona. And so the Jews, as far as, I, or at least Kaliri, kind of copied that. Uh, so it's, you know, typical of that era. And he's the one, as we all know, wrote all these piyutim, which are often characterized by obscurity and elusiveness. In other words, if you have the footnotes and you have the article, and you know that this means this and that means that, and you're aware of this menus and that chazal, so okay. But if not, then you can't follow it. That's why I say get an art scroll. And the centrality of davening was such, that's what people like to get together and spend hours in shul. It's the opposite of today. Today people say, I guess, can't you skip this? Can't you cut this out? No talking today. We definitely don't want puke and we want to get out in time. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. So whatever you can eliminate, to be makatser, is best in America and places like that. Imagine long, long ago when the opposite was the case. But people said that davening is too short. Uh, we're not saying enough piyutim. Do, do, have you heard of any new ones that we can add to the literature? Uh, I know it sounds funny, but I'm just trying to tell you that you take off the glasses of the year 2022 and put in the glasses of the year 422 or 522 or 622 in those, in those years. And the result was a, a certain flowering of the liturgical literature. The three biggies, there's Yanai, there's Yosef and Yossi, and there's Blazer Kaliri, and most of what we use is from Blazer Kaliri, although we do use from the other guys also, you don't know it, you know, that's Miyana, you know, a lot of other things also, so, anyhow, so, usually, a lot of the Piyutim, you can understand it from, from Blazer Kaliri, and I think you're aware from just being aware that is very uh, obscure. The classic, and what he likes to do is play with uh, words and rhythm. And sometimes he invents Hebrew words. I got no problem with that whatsoever. The Maskeel will have a problem with that, as you'll see in a second. And so among his uh, famous or notorious uh, poems is the one on Pasha Zohar that we're going to recite tomorrow, which is called Otzkotzeitz, which goes crazy goes wild on Tzadiks, Tzadis, the letter Tzadi, right? Otzkotzeitz, Benkotzeitz, Ketutzeitz, Lekatzeitz, Vedibra, Mephotzeitz, Ritzitzel, Rassetz, Leitz, Balotzeitz, Pulatz, Valenzlotzeitz, Kaotz, Mechatzeitzim, Lechatzeitz, Kener, Alsipor, Lenatzeitz. You get it? You see? You see where it's going? Then he uh, diverts a little bit from it, but he, he never gets rid of those Tzadis later on. Upatzlo, Aderach, Toba, Mibishim, Aderach, Kanochach, Aderach, Alyerach. And, uh, it, it, it's real, you know, let's put it this way. These poems, if you actually study them and take the trouble to uh, decode them, shall we say? Translate them, decode them. In other words, if you say, if you chaser over a couple times, 
then they're really cool. Unfortunately, the way the world goes, as I'm well aware, you don't even know they're there until comes uh, Parsha Zohar, if you're in a shul that says Piyutim, and then you just pull it out without any preliminaries, and you just go into it, and then you go weiter, and next week Purim is over, and it's not no gay anymore. It's like yesterday's supper. <clears throat> so you have a very fleeting acquaintance with it. You only see it once a year, and very briefly at that time. The words are too obscure, and you figure, what the heck? You know, I don't understand Piyutim anyway. And you go weiter. It's already Madrega for the person, so I guess I'm going to read the article and see the translation to get at least some idea what's flying over here. But I'm telling you, if you have any uh, sense of poetry, I mean by that interest in poetry, not everybody does, you know, if interest in poetry, and more specifically, as a from Jew, if you have interest in liturgical poetry, those poems that enter the liturgy, the davening, and become classics like this one, then perhaps it behooves you know, to uh, to take a look. Now, you can't, I don't think you have time to do all of them tomorrow, uh, devote attention, but I'm just putting this podcast out by way of alerting you that one of the most famous and controversial is the Otzkot Seitz, um, because uh, it's cool on the one hand, but there were uh, there were those who didn't like it and, and uh, bitterly criticized it, right? Now, very briefly, it's one of those Amalek things. So even if you get the art scroll... English Hebrew, which is on page 886, not that you need me to tell you. So he's he's just describing a Amalek using a lot of tzadis. So Otz Kotzeitz, that the uh, Otz Kotzeitz ben Kotzeitz, the guy who was a Kotzeitz ben Kotzeitz, a cutter, the son of a cutter, which would be Haman, uh, or possibly a Amalek, the son of, uh, what's the name? Uh, you know, Amalek's father. Uh, uh, oi, what's wrong with me? You know, the son of Esau, of course. Eliphaz, right? Otz Kotzeitz ben Kotzeitz, Kitsutze le Kotzeitz. So the Kotzeitz ben Kotzeitz, right? The bad guy Amalek, right? Uh, he went ahead and uh, attacked Klal Yisrael, okay? And what's really cute is he attacked the Kitsutze. The, the, the cutter attacked those that were cut. Notice he's playing on the words. He wants to cut their throat. They just cut their their, their bris mila, get it? Their arlo. Because the Claw Yisrael has just left Egypt, as we all know the story. To be perfectly honest, no one has taken into account how it worked out that Moshe Rabbeinu circumcised everybody according to the story. What, an Arab Pesach? Because they couldn't eat the carbon Pesach otherwise. I think that's a very well-known story. Really should be three days at least when you're recovering. And here, Mamash on that day, when they were circumcised, they ate the carbon Pesach, they gathered up their belongings, they amassed the wealth of Egypt, and got the heck out of Mitzrayim. Right? And, uh, and what is it? They crossed the sea, and then they're attacked by Amalek. So in other words, they were kutsutsim. They were cut, and in one hand, it's beautiful, one hand, they have the zechus of the Mila, so the poet is saying that this Kotzeitz ben Kotzeitz, this cutter, the son of a cutter, meaning this throat slitter, the, the son of a throat slitter, is now attacking those Kitsutsei who were cut, who themselves had been cut, but they've been cut for a bris mila. And what does it do? It evokes for you which we all know that the schus of the Klai Yisrael was because, among other things, they had the Karim Pesach, 
and they all said the bris milah. Okay, so this guy's and it, it implies, and there's got to be a menace to this effect, that what saved them from from being bloodied by a moek, the blood that they already had spilled for the bris milah. Okay, uh, you know that kind of art, and it's all in those words, right? Bedibur mefotzeis, and he used, you know. Uh, 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 an explosive uh, Dibor knows he attacked the Kalei's role, he said they're all jerks and so on and so forth to crush uh, you know, the good people Okay, um, meaning that they had just come out of Egypt so it's, it's wonderful what he's evoking they were physically uh, battered by the Brismila, they were also physically battered by the slavery they were, you know, neither Gishlog in a mention to, in a certain way, I repeat, in a certain way, they're like DPs after the war. You know, uh, again, he's playing over here on the very famous Chazal that says, "V'lonochem elhim derkars plishim." V'lonochem elhim is a famous medrash that says God could not give them the chama because it was. I spoke about this before because when they left Egypt, they left a lot of dead bodies behind and relatives who had perished. And imagine, for example. Uh, uh, a family that had lost children to the Egyptian slavery, you know, a year ago, two years ago, whatever, and now they're at, they're leaving, but the but the dead ones remain behind, and so they were kotzitz and rotzitz. You see what I'm saying? They were physically cut by the Milo, but they're also rotzitz. They're crushed by the uh, fact that you know they left so many carbonas behind in Egypt, and now this son of a gun. With the Debra Mafotes, Ritsutsi Larasis wants to crush the crushed. You understand? So it goes to show you what a disgusting piece of work Amalek was. That's what he's trying to bring out of here. And that's why we hate him. Because you took, you know, you went after people who are, who are crushed and broken and psychologically battered and bleeding physically as well as mentally. Wow, that's a lot to pack into a few words, <laughs> right? Lates, Bolilotes, and Amalek was a, a late. Right, obviously, and he's coming to make fun of the Jews, pull us when it's load says, and you know, <laughs> okay, pull us when it's load says. He's trying to, uh, I guess, uh, make a split in the Jews in this load says, but he himself ends up being a butt of uh, Lutzanus because the gets wiped out, you see. Uh, why? Because you know, what's his name attacks him. Uh, Joshua, when our archers go after him, he was trying to be like a hawk attacking a birdie, but you and I know what happened in the end. And he plays on the Chazals of Bokamirosh that he busted into the cloud. What do we say? What's uh, it? You know, those who were not in the cloud is what he attacks. Yechidim men Grosh. It was a few of them that were kicked out of the cloud. As the story goes, and that's what Malik was able to get. See, so in other words, everything, um, everything you know is, is is packed in those words. But all you see in the congregation is ta 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 ta. Okay, ta ta ta. So you see the alliteration. This is the Middle East, so they probably did it like Sephardi style in some fashion or other. Even though the Sephardim are not Middle Eastern, really, uh, with their cadence and the rhythm. And Zuma, okay, so just imagine a guy with a bongos there. Where's Ira when you need him? He's with, with, with the bongos as they're as they're uh, chanting this, all right? Zuma and Bhunkalarush, 
Rishis Koyim Lara Ledrosh, and and so forth. Okay. Now, um, anyway, so you see over here, uh, the uh, as I see before the the uh, disgusting character of the Amalekites as they go over here. Uh, Zuma Munkov, he was uh, uh, said already before time. Rishis Koyim Lara Ledrosh. Again, it's a play on words. The Jewish people should be the racist Kayim. On the other hand, we know later on, uh, Bilaam will curse Amalek as racist Kayim. They'll be the first to be wiped out. Right? And so Amalek is, is attacking the Jews because he can't stand the fact that Jews are the racist Kayim. But he himself, racist Kayim, Lara Lidrosh. He wants to be Darish against them. But you, the reader, know that it can always be flipped. And racist Kayim, Lara Lidrosh, that you, Amalek, are going to be the racist Kayim for destruction. Right? And Anyway, it goes on and on. It's not that long, okay? And like I say, you could definitely go like a snake. Well, uh, he's like a snake attack. Who was the one is described as a Nachashali Derek? The answer is Don, remember? Back in Vayichi. Well, who did Amalek attack? The Shevet Don, remember that? Shalach Yod Bechamukha Yerech. And he uh, ambushed them, so he didn't even come with them in a straight-up fight, but it was an ambush. And so you have a whole description over here in, in highly poetized form with the rhythm, the cadence, and in the language, the ta-ta-ta, right? Uh, assuming that they pronounce it as a however they pronounce it. It could have been like the Svartim who say a su, you know, like like a rasson, you know, that kind of thing. We're talking about... The, the Israel, Middle East, wrote the Byzantine province of Palestine where all this was composed in like the 4th or 5th century or 6th century maybe. I mean, we have no idea how these things are pronounced, you know? But nevertheless, you can see the repetition of it and therefore the cadence, it comes exactly. And even references but Kishof of Hillel that used Kishof, like I mentioned yesterday with the Agag story, there's stories like that about Amalek that they could Switch in animal form, some of Hillo, and they use their kesem, their their sorcery, for the purpose of profanation, and uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So you see, um, and here's the great example: Lamila Perak, Klapi Malazark. Remember, the, these are all chazals that they uh, attacked the Mila and they threw it up, the the orla in the sky and so forth. Even though really the, the Jews are supposed to be circumcised, Lishin Shema took Bazes Yark Yark and the spit on the Torah and uh, oh my goodness you know so as a result Eshkal Kofer the Rabboni Shalom who's Eshkal Kofer itself Mishul Ofer commanded Moses who's Mishul Ofer Zichra Mishle Efer Ksav Zigun Sefer never forget these Mamzers Rusha Mazah Sefer put it down in the book Batar Nevim Aksum Lechofer again that's a wonderful reference he's so great it's a wonderful reference to that Gemara that you and I are familiar with in the first prayer of Megillah, when it says, Esther say, include me in the Torah, and they said, no, there's only three references to Amalek, and you, you want to make a fourth, you know? Uh, so, Rushim was that safer, but Torah, Nevi, Muxubinle, cover. There are already three, and as we all know, the, 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 the she found the fourth. Limachos, me safer, that, you know, make sure that he gets erased. Well, he costs him, call a costal kind of safer. Erased in the sense, I mean, it's ironic because, well, you know, you say you want to erase the memory of Malk, but every year you mention it. You, you mention every year to kill him. So what has he done over here? 
I'm fairly sure, I, I don't know, but I, I suspect that, first of all, this is written by Kaliri for an elite. Uh, there must have been people in Roman Palestine, Byzantine Palestine, who understood what he's referring to, otherwise it'd be pointless. Uh, perhaps, perhaps they had like a maturgament for this stuff, which would be fascinating. For, it's very possible. Uh, the maturgament system was alive and, and fl flourishing in those centuries. So first of all, you had the reading of the, 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 the Parsha Shavuah. It was in the Byzantine era that they prohibited the reading of the Torah and switched to the Haftarah, um, Justinian's time. So the Maturgamans, instead of talking about the Parsha of the Week, may have ended up talking about the, 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 the Haftarah. And it's also possible that um, at different times and places, because the Roman governors were really a bunch of schmoes, they may have even prohibited the reading of the Haftarah, in which case a poem, a liturgical poem, will have to take the place of that Torah reading. And that's what I just read you. Because as you read it, and if there's a Maturgamon, and you do a little bit of what I just did, or maybe I should refrain that you do more of what I just did. So if I'm the Maturgamon in a synagogue in Byzantine Palestine or Syria or Egypt or wherever, and it's the week of Parsha Zohar, and if I'm not allowed to read the Chumash, and we're not allowed to even read the Haftorah, what you're going to do is use Otzkotzeitz. And I will expound it to the congregation. And meanwhile, you get the whole story. Which will be, you know, the Moshe lifts of his hand, you know, as, as we all know the story, until uh, So it's not simply a poetic retelling of the story, which it is. It's very possible, in my opinion, that this served in many congregations uh, during times of persecution as the reading of the Parsha, so to speak. Because that's the best they were allowed to do. They'll say it's just literature. It's part of the prayers. It's not part of the reading of the Bible. Because, you know, the Romans, the Byzantines might have said, you Jews can't read the Old Testament because you, you, you corrupt it. You don't give it a Christian reading. And so, uh, now this is not the only poem we wrote, but it's among the most famous. The reason I mentioned Notorious is that uh, if you want to really get down and dirty, uh, I don't see personally too many violations of Dictuk in this. But David Ezra did, and he and others, uh, in the famous, uh, uh, he wrote a book, uh, what's it called, Salva Brura, um, and he has in his introduction to the fifth uh, chapter of uh, Kohelas. If you're interested in what I'm talking about this morning, uh, and, and you're bored in Shul tomorrow, uh, get hold of the, uh, in my opinion, get hold of the art scroll, um, Kohelas now, you know, in the, the new edition to Mikras Gedolas with the Nakudas, they're very good. And uh, on the Chumash Megillus, the whole Nach is out now, right? The whole Tanach is out now, the whole business. And uh, they called it the Sukkah edition or something like that. And uh, if you have the one Chumash Megillus, you look at page 98, which is uh, the fifth parak of uh, Kohelis, and he has a long essay over there in which he talks about what's the right way of poetry and what's the wrong way of poetry. And Lashon Hakodesh Rabbi Eliezer, Ir Prutzein Choma, that Rabbi Eliezer, which is the Elazar, which is the Kaliri, is Ir Prutzein Choma. It's a city which is busted, meaning 
he violates the 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 the, um, the, the grammar, uh, and it really bugs the Ibn Ezra. She yasim in azharim the kevus hebachadaber. He gets it wrong. Zacher in the keva. You and I don't care about this stuff, and nobody in his time cared about that stuff. And he goes on. It's a long detail. Maybe some people said that since the Kaliri is dead, it's not fair to criticize him. But I don't agree. We're all human beings, so we can all, you know, kamonu. Uh, there's no difference when it comes to bow tree between us and the freer dika. And uh, <laughs> I tell you, it's really wonderful. There are thousands of mistakes he makes over here, the Kaliri. And there are too many to enumerate. Don't use any of them. Well, guess what? Klai Yisrael didn't agree with the Ibn Ezra, and the Klai Yisrael certainly uses Otskotzes. In the 19th century, and all the others as well. It's not only this one. In the 19th century, when you had the Haskalah in Russia, which was already not from, uh, you know, anti-from, uh, you know, Bialek, Mendelmach, people like that. So they, they wrote whole essays making fun of the old Ivrit, and they and they even said these are what they call mit utkotzeis. That became like a, a, a word they used. So a tiny slice of literary history. This became a word they used to illustrate what they call bad Hebrew. You understand? And it would be a whole attack on the from culture, that the davening stinks and, and so on and so forth. Uh, obviously, what Bialik is saying is, don't go for the old stuff, use my poetry. <laughs> okay? Now, Bialik may be a good poet from the point of view of the um, sticking to the language and the rules and the grammar, all the rest of it, but nobody's interested in stuff he's not from. So uh, uh, there was a time, maybe there still is, I'm not a secular Israeli, I guess they still learn that stuff in, in public school. I mean, serious. But um, you know what I mean? Nobody else is interested in uh, the Bialik stuff these days, as far as I know. Uh, the religious Jews are interested, I'll just go say something because Pasha Zahar comes every year. Um, if you're interested in anything I said today, because I can only scratch the surface, go online. I'm serious. And, you know, do some, uh, go and look up Utz Kotzeitz uh, with an olive, you know, Utz Kotzeitz. And I think there are many articles and scholarly stuff on the history of the reception of this sort of thing. I'll tell you again, and with this I'll conclude because I'm going over time. I personally think that there must have been times of persecution uh, in those centuries, the 300s, the 400s, the 500s early 600s, and um, I think they probably not only didn't let him read the Chumash, they probably didn't let him read the Tanakh either, uh, meaning they didn't allow the um, the Haftarah. In which case, um, in which case the Piyot is everything. You, you understand what I'm saying? The Piyot is everything. And it could be the rabbi, the Maturgamon, as we, they would call it that time, if he's not going to be able to expound the scriptural text, then the liturgical text takes the place of the scriptural text. Uh, I don't think I've seen anybody that said that, but that's my opinion, okay? That's my opinion. Anyhow, that's just a tiny slice of here. I hope next week talk about um, Purim and Tefillah in general. But meanwhile, I wish you all a good Shabbos and a good Parsha Zohar. Thank Mishpacha Stavansky as always. And um, uh, Shabbat Shalom. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.com.
www.rabbidavidkatz.com.